Welcome to Living Water Radio. Literature is full of stories that take place on the road. The Bible story we're going to look at today takes place on a dangerous and notorious one, the road between Jerusalem and Jericho. It's also our journey. Today, we'll find out why. My name is Pastor David Burkadal. My wife, Reverend Sally Welch, is co-producing this podcast. Sally is an ordained minister focusing on ecumenical and interfaith ministry. I served Lutheran Christian congregations in Compton, California and in San Dimas, California for over 40 years. Today I'm serving part-time in Monterey Park, California. Maintaining our yard is my gym, and I'm active as a volunteer in the leadership of the more than 100 Evangelical Lutheran Church in America congregations in our area. Between the two of us, we have over 80 years of ordained ministry experience. Check out our first Living Water Radio podcast, number zero, Welcome and Introduction, for more information about us and this podcast. Remember the story of Joshua and the Battle of Jericho? It was fought when the Israelites returned to the land God had given them after hundreds of years in slavery in Egypt. Their land had been occupied by others, and they had to take it back. By the time of Jesus, many hundreds of years later, the road between Jerusalem and Jericho was known mainly for crime. Lots of things can happen on the road to someplace else. Have you ever seen an RV with a sticker on it with a red background showing the smiling head of a guy with a gold halo over him and the words, Good Sam, underneath it? It's the logo for the Good Sam Club, which began as a group who said that they were willing to help fellow RVers in need on the road. It takes its name from the parable of the Good Samaritan, as in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37, which begins, Just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He wasn't a lawyer like we understand lawyers, but he was an expert in the religious laws, the 613 commandments in the Old Testament, and all the ways in which they were to be interpreted. Jesus answers him, starting with verse 26. He said to him, What is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. That's Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, and Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. Augustine, one of the great theologians of the church and one of the giants of Western literature, who lived from 354 to 430 A.D., expressed most of the same when he said, Love God and do what you will. Because loving God means doing what pleases God, and the laws of God are given for human good. Jesus approved of the man's answer and said in verse 28, And he said to him, You have given the right answer. Do this, and you will live. If only the man had stopped while he was ahead. We see at verse 29, But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? This man didn't want to stop at knowing how to collect his inheritance. He wanted to believe that he had earned it himself. The man only wanted to make sure he was keeping the letter of the law, but in doing so, he only showed concern for himself. He wasn't thinking about what to share with others. He wanted to know what he had to do. Jesus was about to teach him what he needed to be, starting with verse 30. Jesus replied, 
A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers, who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. The road between Jerusalem and Jericho was winding. It was mostly what we would call a dry gulch, a great place for robbers to hide and ambush travelers and merchants. I once walked inland from the west to Mount Sinai in Israel. My friend and I had taken our map at face value but found that there was actually no city and no road. We had to walk in over the desert. We met a Bedouin, a native of the desert, who agreed to guide us overnight. Have you ever spent the night wondering if you were about to be robbed? At one point, my friend quietly pointed out that culturally, the Bedouin believed that everything on the desert belonged to them. They might rob a traveler of everything, including the clothes on their back, without remorse. And their brother might find you on the desert and bring you to his village and equip you with everything his brother had stolen and brought home out of a cultural hospitality and see no contradiction. The robbers in this story were a bit more brutal. Have you ever been robbed at gunpoint? I have. It's no fun. One of our dogs had jumped our fence one night many years ago, and I had gone out to bring it back. We had indications that we lived near a crack house, and we think the robbers might have been on their way there, desperate. One robber said that he didn't want to kill me, and I replied that that was good because I didn't want to be killed. He took my watch, wedding ring, and all my cash that Sally passed through the back door. I think that the other recognized me. He held back and kept telling the other guy to leave. They were satisfied with what they got, and it was traumatizing for us. It was a night when some help would have been very welcome. The first two possibilities for help for the victim in Jesus' parable were not at all helpful, starting at verse 31. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Two potential helpers appear. We see a priest of Aaron who served in the temple in Jerusalem and a Levite who served in a helping role in the temple as a musician, temple official, guard, or craftsman. They may have been concerned that the victim was dead, knowing that if they touched a dead body, they would have been considered unclean and unable to carry out their service until they completed a time-consuming cleansing ritual. Or they might have passed by thinking that it's not my job, or they didn't want to be late for work, or were afraid that someone would mistake them for the robber, or that they might get blood on their clothes, or were afraid that they themselves would get robbed. Or who knows? But they did not stop to render aid. Who did? We see in verse 33. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. Let's just take a pause here to think about who the Samaritans were and how outrageous it would have seemed for Jesus to make the Samaritan the good guy in this story. Samaritans were what was left of the mixture of local and foreign peoples that followed the Assyrian conquest of the ten northern tribes of Israel in 722 BC. They were considered foreigners occupying their own territory in the middle of Israel and bad influences. And the Samaritans felt the same about Israel. And what does the Samaritan do? We see in verse 34. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, 
brought him to an inn, and took care of him. Margaret Mead, the anthropologist, was once asked what she thought was the first sign of human civilization. She answered, the first evidence of civilization is a healed femur, or thigh bone. Evidence of a healed thigh bone means that someone had to set the bone and provide security, food, and water for the wounded while they healed, all at personal expense to themselves. Prior to that, if you broke a femur, you died. Civilization begins when we put the need of others ahead of our own. That is a very Christian concept, perhaps at the beating heart of what it means to be a Christian. It is rooted in the central event of the Christian faith, the cross. It is what the expert on the religious law needed to learn. The teaching continues in verse 35. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. One denarius was equal to a day's wage for an unskilled laborer. Two denarii were two days' wage. That was his down payment. He offered to contribute whatever it took to restore the wounded man. Last week, I asked you to pray that God would open your heart to someone who needs reconciliation with God, someone to whom God is sending you to bring the good news of God's love for all people in word and or deed. Did you do it? Prayer doesn't cost anything, and it can lead us to those in need who we can serve. Did anyone come to mind? Did you follow up? Jesus asked in verse 36, Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. How does God's mercy come? A neighbor is anyone in need of what we can give. It's not our status or appearance in the world that matters. What counts is that we who have been healed express our gratitude and love for others, We who have received mercy, show mercy. The one who was helpless was restored. Living as a Christian requires sacrifice. It requires concern for others, not for the sake of appearances, but because it is a natural expression of the love and grace and mercy we have received from God. The expert in the religious law was only concerned with his personal salvation by his own works. Jesus pushed a little further, because the man only wanted to justify himself. The good news, the gospel, is that God has done that at the cross. The message of this parable is not just be nice to people. The message is to live the love that we have first received on the cross, the love that has made us whole, restoring us to the living relationship of faith with the one true living God for which we were created from the beginning of human history, and to share the hope of eternal life, not in ourselves, but in Jesus Christ. Near the end of the movie on Mr. Rogers' Won't You Be My Neighbor, Fred Rogers, who was a Presbyterian minister, is speaking to a crowd and says, From the time you were very little, you had people who have smiled you into smiling, people who have talked you into talking, sung you into singing, loved you into loving. So on this extra special day, let's take some time to think of those extra special people. Some of them might be right here. Some may be far away. 
Some may even be in heaven. No matter where they are, deep down, you know that they've always wanted what was best for you. They've always cared about you beyond measure and have encouraged you to be true to the best within you. Let's just take a minute of silence to think about those people now. Who has loved you into being? Who has made those people into who they were and are? God. And we can be that kind of neighbor because God has first loved us into eternal being. We can't earn this inheritance. It is a gift of the loving and gracious and merciful God. Heaven is coming, and it will be full of all kinds of people. Declare the inbreaking of the already but not fully yet here kingdom of God by word and deed to everyone in need who God places in front of you, that is, your neighbors. Today, let's remember to pray the Lord's Prayer, the one that Jesus taught us. If you don't know what that is, contact us at therevsdavidandsally at gmail.com or send us a tweet to at David Burkadal and we'll send it to you. Send your prayer requests to either of the same addresses and we'll include them next time. Send your comments, questions, and concerns there as well and we'll respond to every one. As always, we encourage you to stay hydrated, to open your heart to receive the living water from the source, God's self, the living presence of the one true living God, the God who gave himself on the cross so that all who believe and are baptized might be restored to the living relationship with God for which we were created. Remember your church. Identify one if you don't already have one. Pray about it and ask the Holy Spirit to guide you. Ask a friend about it or a family member. Google it. Contact the pastor. When you have a church, go to or tune into the worship services they have available and support your church with your time, your treasure, and your talent. Pray for and support your pastor and church leaders as they seek to do God's will for your congregation. If you are having thoughts of suicide or are struggling with mental health issues, call somebody. Contact a friend or a relative. Google a local or national hotline. Reach out. There are people around you who will walk with you through this dark time into the light. You are not alone. Wear a mask when you're outside your home. Practice social distancing. Wash or sanitize your hands regularly. Avoid crowds if you can. And be outside if you have to be in a crowd. But most importantly, get your vaccines and boosters. It's the one thing you can do to literally save lives and get us back on track. Be kind to everyone you come into contact with. Everyone you meet today struggles in some way. Be a helper and encourager. Thank you for listening to Living Water Radio. We are here for Christians and for the people of the Los Angeles metropolitan area who are looking for a sense of Christian community, a source of hope, and a way to thrive together as we move into the new normal. We hope you'll tune in next time and invite your friends to do the same. Meanwhile, Sally and I encourage you to open your hearts to receive living water, the presence of the Holy Spirit, and stay hydrated. <laughs>